0: This is Sarah Bordaev, and you are listening to PodSAM, the podcast channel of SAM Magazine, the voice of the mountain resort industry. On this episode, we're bringing you a huddle from our sister publication, Adventure Park Insider. The aerial adventure park industry has been hit with an equal amount of uncertainty in the current pandemic crisis. And in an effort to share challenges, ideas, and resources about how and when we can open up our summer adventure parks, we gathered industry leaders to huddle virtually and discuss the current situation and what we're learning. On this call, we welcomed Sean Tierney, Association for Challenge Course Technology, Boman and Azarm, Outdoor Ventures, Nick Thompson, Works. Lori Pingle, Zip Zone and Adventure Development Team, Keith Jacobs, Experiential Systems, Paul Cummings and Stephanie Sabil of Strategic Adventures, Micah Henderson, Vertical Solutions Consulting, and Lee Kerfoot, Kerfoot Canopy Tour and Brainerd Zipline Tour. As most called in from home, you may hear the occasional kid or dog voicing their opinion on the subject. We kick it off here with ACCT Executive Director, Sean Tierney.
1: Hey, everybody, Sean Tierney from ACCT. First, I want to thank API for organizing this call. It's awesome to be able to join. I'm, I'm really grateful and thank all of you for joining. I hope everyone joining us today is doing well and staying healthy. So I'm not going to take too much time. I just want to give uh, some quick updates on what ACCT is doing around COVID-19 right now, um, primarily resources for the challenge course industry. Uh, on our website, acctinfo.org, you can find a lot of good information, starting with a a resource page dedicated to. COVID-19. And on our website uh, at the top, you'll see slider bars and images. And when you get to that uh, COVID-19 image, click on that and that'll open up our resource page. But on that page, you'll find health-related information, notices from CDC and things like that, some guidance papers from ACCT, some employer information, things like uh, SBA loans, the CARES Act, uh, payroll protection, etc., We've got employee information, regulatory information and notices, and then we have some member-only forums, but I want to remind people that most of our resources are available to everybody in the industry, not just our members, uh, so just be aware of that. Um, I, would, I do want to touch briefly on our regulation map that is also on the website. It's on one of the scroller uh, slider bars on the website and uh, that also is a resource page that has a lot of good information updates additional things that uh, are SBA loans and uh, things of that nature so that's a really good additional page um, to find information on there and you can actually post things to provide information Uh, We're going to start doing some webinars, uh, hopefully coming up next week, for different segments of the industry. Uh, We'll roll these out probably one weekly for the next month, perhaps. But we're still figuring out content and presenters. Uh, But it'll be for different segments of the industry, including operators, facilitators, builders, other industry professionals. Um, We've been joining similar types of calls with outdoor industry groups like AOR, AEE, Climbing Wall Association. Those have been really helpful to just hear what other people are doing and we pick up some ideas there. And uh, lastly, we're certainly uh, open to and actively seeking other ideas, input from the industry and our members about what else we can be doing right now as a trade association, trying to help members and the industry with resources and uh, things that uh, will be really valuable for the industry. So let us hear from you. And uh, again, thanks for being on the call today.
0: We'll be hearing more from Sean throughout the conversation, but now we'll pass it off to Sam and Adventure Park Insider publisher, Olivia Rowan.
2: So to kick us off, um, we're going to start with Bauman, um, Bauman Azram of Outdoor Ventures. He operates several parks and serves on the ACCT board. Bauman, can you share a little bit about how your parks, um, you know, from an operations standpoint? So our first um, topic here is is operations. So from an operations standpoint, with so much unknown, how are you thinking about and, and communicating with your team in our quarantine placed um, situation, you know, with the moving target of when we're going to open, if we're going to open, how, how, what are the things that you're doing to um, prepare operationally, you know, as far as staffing, communicating with them,
3: maintenance? um. So uh, just to put things in perspective, uh, three weeks ago, Saturday, we had 200 and something people at the park. The park was operating, there were people coming, and um, we were taking precautions, but uh, no one... Seem to have uh, minded what was happening at the time. Fast forward three weeks, and um, I don't believe any parks are open at this point um, with all of the um, directions that we've been given from the different states of staying closed. Um, so what have we been doing? One of the things that we have been doing uh, since then is to make sure that we keep in touch with our past customers. So we have actually been doing quite a few um, email blasts and trying to provide uh, information, but also kind of um, not try to sell them uh, much, but just to keep in touch with them so that uh, when we do open, uh, hopefully they will recognize that we're still there um, and um, that the things that we're, we're going to be giving them, the information that we're gonna be giving them is going to be relevant. Um, So what are we doing in order to prepare, though, for the parks? And uh, we just want to make sure that um, all the maintenance has been taken care of, that we've actually have hired all the people we need. Uh, We have trained everyone. Uh, No one actually right now is working, unfortunately. But there uh, have been a number of people that were at the parks that were working that are on furlough right now and ready to come back. So we want to make sure that as soon as we're given the okay, uh, we can open um, immediately thereafter. Um, And we also want to make sure that when we do open, we're taking the precautions that people feel that we should be. So uh, we have um, uh, the, the two main areas that we feel are probably the most important um, in the operations part is during harnessing and during any rescues or assists that we're going to be doing. Because during those times, we have to be close to um, uh, the, the participant who's at the park. And unfortunately, um, those, uh, during those two times, uh, we're going to be getting much closer than the six-foot um, social distance that, uh, that everybody says that we should be. so um, in order to take care of that part of it, we are uh, going to be providing um, a shield uh, for uh, our park monitors, uh, the, the guides that are going to be harnessing, and the shield is going to uh, as well as a mask, and the shield is going to be act, acting um, uh, in a way where our customers are going to feel comfortable, in, uh, being able to speak to um, uh, the park employees and not feel uh, threatened that there's going to be uh, an exchange of saliva or um, or sneezing or any of that very similar to what some of the grocery stores are doing um, so those are the major things that we're doing and then we're also going to make sure that when customers do come back to the park they're going to be Um, grouped into families. If they came in within one car, we're going to allow them to be able to have several people on the platform at the same time. Otherwise, we are going to ask them to keep a social distance. And instead of um, allowing them to be three on a platform where we usually do, we're going to ask them just to be one on a platform and keep that distance as they go through the courses.
2: Okay, great. That's, That's super helpful understanding you know, some of what you're thinking about looking ahead. We're gonna um move to uh Nick, Nick Thompson of Climeworks. Um Nick, you have a few parks and you and I have exchanged some emails and you've given some thought to um some of the things that you're gonna do to address customer concerns um and in, in changing the process in your operations. What what can you tell us about what you're doing?
4: Sure. Um yeah so a couple of different things that we did. I mean some of them were out of uh, out of necessity when we start we first when we um some of our marketing efforts kind of came out of necessity because we were um we saw as soon as they mandated both our locations they mandated both our locations to close down we kind of you know we started getting major calls of refunds and and everything else and so that kind of really started eating up our cash flow pretty quickly and so we started looking at that and figuring out ways we could we could kind of do damage control and so our first way with damage control was really just reaching out to all our guests that had existing reservations Kind of you know, help asking for their support and helping to maybe instead of refunding to reschedule, and then we'd encourage them but doing that by offering an additional free gift pass or gift cards that are used, you can use anytime, and an additional free pass on top of their existing reservation to maybe encourage them to reschedule. That was something that kind of was, was a quick and control that uh, really helped kind of help the the constant refund calls that we were getting as our as our locations were mandated to be closed by in Hawaii and in Tennessee. And then the next thing we did, we, I mean, we, have a pretty, uh, we feel like we have a pretty good uh, uh, base of customers, previous customers. And so we, we, we don't feel like it's the best time to necessarily market, but it was also a way that we, we reached out. Yeah, everybody's in a difficult situation, so you need to be sensitive in the language you use. But we reached out and asked for support. You know, asked for people that uh, if they were coming, if they were ever planning on a vacation soon or in the next year or whenever else, we'd, we were offering gift cards that with no expiration date. And, and offered a discount on them so there was a way for that they could support us but also save money in their future visits with us and we thought it might be a long shot and uh, but really in reality we've seen a pretty good response from it and we we are our, our first campaign uh with that ended on april or we started off with just an email campaign and then we as we saw success we started doing some social posts and we've seen success with that our, our, our campaign ended on april 6th because it was still going strong we are going to kind of re- re-extend it and that was that was a big help for us it kind of it also got us in communication with our guests we got we've gotten some great letters of of people's sympathy and and people you know just it's kind of connected us back with them again and and for the ones that are that, that were planning on a trip sometime this year or even later years we have seen a lot of support that way and so that that really helped kind of really helped you know hit, you know help the, help the issue we were seeing of just seeing money going out the out the back door with refunds constantly with with these mandates and so it was a, it was a good way to connect with your customers it also was a good thing for our, our business as well
2: what about um communicating with your staff you know if they are uh, furloughed or, or keeping that the what are you doing to keep your your team you know yeah that's being, a that's engaged. always a tricky one
4: yeah. yeah that's always a tricky one um our 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 two different locations are are a little bit different our our hawaii is more year round so we have uh we have a core team that's that a pretty a pretty sizable team that's uh that's more full time that uh, we're a, we're able to some of the ones that were only guide that could only do guiding and driving, we had to uh, extend unemployment. But a lot of our other core team, we've been able to do. And both of our areas are in pretty rural areas, so they haven't been as affected by the uh, by actual uh, cases COVID, COVID cases in our areas. And so we've been able to do small um, small maintenance teams. They stay together as a small group, and they're the ones that can do some do some things at the at the course locations while we're closed to be able to help do some of that they've also a lot of the rest of them are working from home taking calls and doing a lot of the organizational things that have always been on the wish list about a, with us as a company and we finally have some of the time to do that and so that's getting in some of the areas we've done and in Tennessee um because it is more seasonal and we had just really I mean it couldn't have hit us the worst time we really just had brought in all of our staff for the first for springtime got them all trained up and we're ready to go and then this this all happened so in Tennessee, we have we have housing student uh, we have uh, housing for our for our employees for the summer and spring seasons, so we've all, we offered you know free rent to them to help them out in the situation. We've we were all, we were starting to offer just extend you know just um, deduct you know smaller hours you know smaller windows of hour, hours of the week, but with the new changes with the federal government and with unemployment, we found that that actually benefits them more to be furloughed. Yep. Um, and as far as what they were going to be making gonna be making so helping them with rent, encourage them to stay around and hopefully ride this out until we were able to get uh, get back on our feet. And then with the unemployment part that has has gotten help from the federal government was, was beneficial as well. And so that yeah that's been and, uh, yeah it's been a bit of been a challenge but that's, that's some of the items we've been,
2: have been doing. Well, thank you for sharing those those challenges and that, that's helpful for us all all to hear.
0: One follow-up uh, question for Nick um, yeah. from our audience For going back to the campaigns that you were talking about earlier, where you're reaching out to uh, former guests and guests who had had reservations that may not be able to use them on this date that they had originally planned on. What are you considering kind of a a benchmark for success in people rescheduling, buying those gift cards or kind of taking advantage of those CTAs that you're putting out in the market?
4: Well, my benchmark—I I really had low expectations. I didn't—I really had no clue what it was going to what it was going to do. Um, what I liked when I started seeing the batches, instead of them always being negative, that every once in a while be positive. <laughs> um, the daily the daily batches from the refunds uh, before that, and so that was really the benchmark to me. Is that I'd see, I'd every once in a while in those days see positive batches coming through, and that was a that was a positive for me. One thing we also did to to, to encourage our guests is we also most people were were. Respectful of it, but when we had um, people would call to refund and reschedule, we would we extended the date when we would offer the refund. Then we'd offer it on their tour you know, the other day after their tour dates, and that just helped mm-hmm. uh, help calm the bleeding down a little bit as well. Um, if people got if people didn't understand that or got mad about it, obviously you do what you do what you need to do for your guests. But that was a way to also just kind of calm the bleeding and maybe and because of the unknowns of when we can reopen again, it it, it slowed the process down a little bit as well.
2: Great, thanks so much, Nick. Um, Lori, um, we're going to jump to you, um, uh, you know, you're with zip zone and adventure development team and how do you think customers will change and how will we have to address, um, some of their concerns and what are you thinking? How are you thinking through that process?
5: Yeah. Um, well, you know, just, just like everybody said, I think one of the most challenging, things are facing is the fact that all this is unknown so we just i mean I, don't, I i would imagine all of you feel the same way every day feels like a week so you know things just keep changing so i keep thinking through things and then 5 days will go by and i'll be like wow everything's different now so what we're kind of trying to do is sort of run some sort of some scenarios and look at where we think we're going to need to change um so Um, Some of the things that we have on lists, we're looking at surfaces, you know, people touching the door handles when people come into our site. If they haven't signed the waiver, there's waiver kiosks. How are we going to keep those clean? How are we going to encourage people to fill out the waivers before they show up? Do we take away the kiosks altogether? Um, So we kind of have a list. We don't really have all of our solutions yet, but we have a list of things that we're focusing on. Um, We have picnic tables. You can't really clean picnic tables very well, especially in between groups. So we're gonna get really heavy duty vinyl coverings so that we can clean them more consistently. Um, We're thinking about cleaning gear in between groups. We've always cleaned helmets, but what about like touch surfaces? So we're kind of doing some research with some of the gear manufacturers of like what's recommended um, in terms of cleaning. We've talked to a number of our clients too about gloves. What are people doing about gloves? You know, We operate both in Adventure Park and a zip line tour. Our zip line tour doesn't wear gloves. Our adventure park does. Um, so we're looking at, you know, are we going to include the cost of gloves? Um, you know, just up it by five dollars and everybody gets a pair of gloves. Do we make it an add-on? Do we encourage people to bring their own? So we don't have a lot of our solutions figured out yet. But um, you know, we're we're just trying to figure out where these points are going to be. Um, how to create some of the solutions, which we have a list of solutions. We don't know which ones are gonna work just yet. Um, and kind of be able to pivot and choose from them when we see what the future holds. Um, the other thing that we're kind of doing is um, sort of looking at scenarios, you know, in my, in my theory um, that is basically, you know, probably the same as a lot of you. I think some people think that there's gonna be some switch that like all of a sudden this is gonna be over. Um, and really doesn't seem like that's be the case. It seems like there's going to be like a roll back out um, and some transition sort of easing into life and then kind of a recovery phase, and then down the road somewhere, we might be you know back to some semblance of normal. So you know we're thinking about in that transitional phase, maybe we're going to be able to bring some of our staff back when we won't be open for business. What can we do in that stage? Then, when we're open for business, maybe there's going to be like Bauman mentioned, you know some of the social distancing mandates will probably still be there. Will we need to lower our zip line toward you know, numbers? Will we need to just only have family units be able to go out together? How we protect our guides and the guests? So there's a lot on our list of things we need to figure out and some potential solutions. Um, but we're, we're not 100% sure what, what we're gonna do just again because everything just keeps changing day to day.
2: Thanks, Lori. I think, you know, we've heard that from operators on, on both of our industries we serve, which is um, they're modeling. They're modeling, you know, two, three, and four models. And that's what they're spending their time right now in the quarantine is being ready for whichever model is, is gonna play out. So I think it, it's smart to have those um, different models. Um we did get a question in. Has anybody, you know, we've seen this question, you know, Moving around on cleaning gear, Um, has anybody seen any definitive answer on the development of disinfectant for gear equipment? You know, we looked into it early with with Petzl and, you know, it was all the kind of standard of what you shouldn't be using on the gear, but we're in a new time. So has anybody heard anything on gear cleaning um, that would make sense in this new world we're in?
1: Yeah, I I think there's some real challenges there in terms of um, how frequently, how often things are changing. Um, I've reached out to different manufacturers. Um, I've been talking to Climbing Wall Association. Um, Again, slightly different uh, uh, focus that they have, but um, yeah, to answer the question that might have come in previously from somebody else, I think that's something we can look at for sure. Um, again, we want to hear other suggestions about what people think we either could be doing or other things we might want to look into and get on quickly. That's always the challenge right now is how quickly we can turn around different things like guidance papers, uh, clean equipment, uh, sanitation. Um, just some of the discussion on this call is really helpful, but it sounds like that's something we could probably step on and, and try to provide some guidance along as well. Great.
5: One, one thing that we've been doing, um, we've been cleaning our Petzl helmets now for eight years with um, alcohol-based wipes. So it's a brand called Sandy Hands that huh, it's sold out, but um, they used to exist out there in the market. Um, they're kind of expensive. They're used a lot in like healthcare, but they're basically alcohol wipes. Um, so we've been wiping down our helmets with no adverse reactions um, for eight years. And uh, way back, Petzl recommended, you know, to use, you know, to really only use rubbing alcohol to clean helmets. So that's where we started with that. Um, So we haven't used any spray. But again, all we've been cleaning is helmets for eight years. So I feel fairly confident um, from our anecdotal evidence that that's a good way to be. We just haven't gotten anything really firm yet from manufacturers uh, to, to bring that to webbing products and carabiners and things. Great. Thanks,
0: Lori. Thank you. Um, So we're going to switch over to Keith Jacobs of Experiential Systems. Um, He's a builder, but also part of the new Alliance Collaborative. Um, Keith, what insights can you share with operators navigating this current crisis?
6: Um, um, I think one of the things we've been doing, um, Andrea, our training director, she's been paying attention to American Camping Association. That's the largest group. Of, of client base that we have. Um, a lot of confusion there. Some camps have already shut down for the season. The international camps um, seem to be at the forefront of not being concerned about being able to get their international staff members over to the United States and have them to operate with travel restrictions. Um, a lot of camps still think they are going to open for some form of a, a shortened um, season uh, out there. We've uh, we tried to run one skills verification ourselves with a client right at the front end of this before there were any um state restrictions, just recommendations of 250 or less. And and we found it near impossible to even just do a skills verification without a considerable amount of close contact, um, both being in people's personal space or needing to touch equipment to verify whether it's in doing a rescue or putting a harness on. Um, and we immediately canceled our trainings, any other um option that we had the the day after um, doing that moving forward. Um, I think, you know, probably the most important thing I would say is, you know, communicating with the staff. I know that um, we're down to uh, seven full-time staff operating from from home with a little bit of office and um, 28 some staff on unemployment uh, right now and being able to communicate with them on a weekly basis using we're doing web hangout um, phone calls with our core staff. Uh, at, at minimum once a week, we've got one with our entire team, uh, coming up and checking in with them. Some of these employees, um, they're not working for you. They're, some of them have had to go out and find jobs doing delivery. We've got employees working at Amazon warehouses and grocery stores, um, who chose to do that, um, uh, making good time and a half instead of, um, collecting unemployment. Uh, one of my concerns for all of us seasonal operators are what happens when you're ready to go and they're making, uh, one and a half times or twice as much as they were uh, working for you in this other economy that may still be um, thriving and uh, you know we look at our business we've got a lot of construction you know half a million dollars of construction on pause right now that you know we're going to need a crew ready to ready to go and some of those people are in other employment right now who say they're going to be ready to come back but that's um you know that's a, a concern we have in making sure that we keep those communication lines open with them we've even offered um, incentives for them, uh, stipend, $100 per article for a newsletter or um, a blog, um, go through their photos, and if they can provide good marketable photos, we'll provide um, some cash incentives um, for them to do things where we don't have real work for the people who uh, need to work in the field doing construction or training. Great. Right. Um, Thank you. And, and in regards to that last question, um, Edelridge just released a study I got on um, a rope riggers uh, Forum that they did rubbing alcohol on all their cloth products um, and did repeated testing and exposure and saw no reduction on uh, the material.
3: Well, that's good to know.
2: Wow. Great. Thank you, Keith. Um, we're going to do a, a quick poll um, that uh, will pop up on your screen. If everybody could um, quickly jump on a, an answer to that, we just want to kind of get um, the optimism factor here and be as true to how you feel on this and and submit that and we're going to keep going and when Sarah has the the results she'll, she'll read those out.
0: We polled the audience on their current plans for reopening for business this summer asking if they currently plan to open in May, June, July, August, not at all or didn't yet have a plan. You can view the complete poll results on our Facebook page at Adventure Park Insider.
2: We're gonna transition now to our second topic, which is finance, and look at some of the revenue challenges operators are facing. Um, As most of you know, last Friday, um, saw the launch of the small business uh, stimulus package, specifically the payroll protection program. Uh, I think we can all say it was extremely frustrating rollout. Um, As many banks were not ready, uh, were refusing to accept applications um, until they received more guidance the terms uh, continue to change a little bit each day. So um, you really have to be uh, up on um, all of the the announcements that are coming out of there. Um, So, you know, and then it's in, there was also many of you applied for the EIDL, the Economic Injury Disaster Loan. So um, Paul, I'm gonna um, ask you to share a little bit, Paul, um, with Strategic Adventures and also ACCT board member. Um, Can you share, some of, um, the challenges, you know, sort of summarize a little bit about, um, this small business package, um, and, um, you know, what your recommendations would be, um, some advice, you know, some things that you learned along the way, um, you know, and, and a little bit about revenue management while we're, while we're waiting for this, what should they be focusing on?
7: Yeah. Sure. That's a quick 90 seconds.
3: Yeah, right. right. Yeah. That's-
7: <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, this whole uh, federal loan process, um, if you plan on applying for it, apply for it now. Um, however, don't anticipate on getting money by Monday. Um, I honestly, I don't know anybody that's received any funding yet um, who's even had approvals come through. Um, if anybody has, raise your hand now. I've not seen any hands. Jeremy did
8: nice. well, a couple of hands We're Bank of America
2: so we we have a guy who gets back to us he talks to us yeah so it depends on the bank so yeah
7: yeah so what we've seen so far is a lot of applications being sent in some being uh accepted some being rejected uh, other banks saying that um someone in this industry is not uh because they don't know it well enough if it's not their primary bank, they're not lending on it because banks are still very risk averse, no matter even if the government's telling them to go get money, um, a bank is still in that mindset of we can't lose money. So there is a, a bit of a kind of a disconnect there, if you will, on, on how that goes together. Uh, we have some lending partners as well, uh, brokers that work with multiple lending sources and they're trying to figure out and navigate some of this as well. And it's still, like you said, it's a day to day, there's new rules coming all the time. And we're trying to figure out how that all plays together. Um, Just read, it was this morning, I think yesterday, it was announced that there's more money now coming through that process. However, bigger businesses are also going to be allowed to apply for some of these funds. So the pool, even though it's getting bigger, is going to get smaller real quick because these larger companies can now come in and do this. Um, And so I think the cap was up to like 10,000 employees now is the PPE cap. So that is going to be um, a bit of a challenge to navigate all that.
2: Um, in 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 the interim, while you know we those of us that got the application in or getting ready or trying to, um, with a bit of an unknown of when that will come through, and then mm-hmm. there's even the EIDL bridge the 10K that was supposed to be the immediate. Has anybody received the immediate 10K, you know, forgivable money? I don't. Yeah, anybody. And-
7: and that one, too, has also had some changes to it where it's now not just 10K, it depends on how many full-time staff you have. So if you have three people, you are now getting 3K instead of the 10K. It's a 1,000 per up to 10. So that is a big dynamic that shifts on there as well. Um, I was going to apply for that until I found out that, well, it's really me as the sole full-time employee, um, it's not worth my time to, to do all that for 1,000 bucks. Yeah, you know, I can... Probably make some calls during the time it would take to to fill that out and and get some <laughs> revenue going, but yeah, I'm in a little bit different spot than a lot of people.
2: And they, um, they, there are some good um, resources out there that compare the the PPP and the EIDL, and they are very different, you know, in as far mm-hmm. as the, the terms. And um, and you know, I I don't know if it matters with the seasonal nature of our businesses, and, and which one um, is better. Um, do you have a sense of of that?
7: Yeah, one of the struggles that we have as seasonal businesses is that, um, I think it was the PPE, does a labor of over the course of 12 months. Right. And with that as an average, you know, our July labor costs are very different than our January labor costs. So doing an average isn't necessarily going to be enough to keep everybody employed or have enough to, to keep that going. It may help keep some key staff, but it is in no way going to help keep everybody on board. Um, that and the fact that the $600 per week for the unemployment bump with that too, is honestly, it's a better option for a lot of employees. I think it's important that employers communicate that with their staff and really understand why they're being furloughed. It might be a better option for them personally to do that. It's not that the company is trying to save money. It really could be for the benefit of the staff. So I think that's an important distinction, uh, to make and be fully transparent with your staff when you're doing, uh, any of these decisions, uh, the worst thing in the world to do is to make it all a surprise to anybody. Yeah. Um, if you know you're going to furlough somebody in two weeks, let them know now. Don't make it a surprise 13 days from now that, oh, by the way, tomorrow, don't bother coming in. So we see that, unfortunately, quite often. Um, people just don't want to, they to try to play their cards close to the vest.
3: Right,
2: um- Micah Henderson, and um, thanks for joining us um, of your of Vertical Solutions Consulting. Um, what would you advise operators? Um, how would you prioritize their their cash flow right now? What should they be focusing? What should they not put off? Um,
9: yeah, we have uh, a couple of clients that we work with and that are going through this right now, and all of them are hoping for the applications they've put in with their different banks to come through. None of them have received any actual money yet. Um, both of the main clients that we work with have furloughed everyone and uh, encourage them to apply for unemployment. I'm not actually sure that we've even gotten unemployment claims back to us from any of our employees that are furloughed yet either. Um, it is quite interesting i mean i think we keep talking uh or the clients that we work with keep talking to their employees about when the money gets in the bank what will happen then and you know what will be the expectations for when the money gets in the bank so the main thing that the clients we work with are doing is just keeping in touch with the employees about when we get or when they get money in the bank to be able to pay out um, the PVP loan, you have to pay 75% on payroll itself. If you get approved for it and get money in your bank account, uh, some of the other loans that are some of the other expenses that people deal with would be your rent and your utilities and stuff like that. That can be paid for and forgiven with that other 25% of the PPP loan. So in general, those things, uh, are just your fixed expenses. Um, the clients that we work with have furloughed everyone. Uh, we also have some state programs because we have a client in California, and the state program allows for work sharing with the state. So we pay forty percent of that person's salary. That's on our you know leadership salary team, and the state's supposed to pay sixty percent. Uh, we got approved for that, wow. but no money has come. From it yet, uh, so it's it's just a it's just a wild game, you know. There are a lot of marketing things that we uh, canceled kind of right away as additional expenses that we couldn't kind of afford uh, from a cash flow perspective. The rent, you know, you can ask to get it extended or whatever. That didn't work for us, uh, so you still have to pay that. You still have to pay some. Electrical and utility and trash and stuff, even though you don't have much of it, putting your utilities on uh, hold, if possible, is an option uh, as well. We're still working with the insurance company to try and put our, put our clients' premiums on hold or deferred or into some kind of a payment plan. Uh, we haven't gotten to a resolution with those negotiations yet, but in general, I think everybody's just... Focusing on paying the things that they have to pay, putting money on credit cards, and hoping to not do that. <laughs> I mean, the cash flow thing is a is a major problem uh, for these businesses. So, anything you can do to, you know, stop the bleeding. I liked it how Nick said earlier, stopping the bleeding and see the things come through that can defer or be positive. I think we'll all start feeling a little better when some money comes in. Like you have a success. I mean, every one of these applications is different depending on the bank and the files you have to upload and give to them are all different. So it's not like you can tell somebody how it's gonna be at their bank. Um, but I think the effort we're all putting into it will encourage the economy the second people start having success. And so I think the sooner we can get to success and getting money in the bank, the more calming it's going to be for all the different organizations out there. It seems like everybody is willing to pay their people to not do anything. If in fact the government is providing that money to pay them to, you know, not do anything. Of course, everybody wants the doom to do something. So that's where we're getting to be creative with what they can be doing, you know, two or three hours a week. Yeah. even While they're being paid more, so I don't know if that
2: helps, but no, it's very it's very helpful. Um, and and a question that to either you or Paul um, from one of our listeners is, um, have you heard about <coughs> uh, the PPP funding and needing to spend the money in the next eight weeks? However, most of our businesses are closed. Seems to be a conflict with each other. Is that? Um, mm-hmm. As I understand it, you know, when we apply, you know, you. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, no, do you understand how that, that question?
7: Yeah. Well, the rules initially were that you got two and a half times your Mm -hmm. monthly funding that you needed for payroll. Um, As the rules sit today, I'm not sure if you have to spend it within those uh, two and a half months or not, or if it can be spread out a little bit further. Um, Yeah. That'd be something to check into. Um, I think
9: My understanding of it is that the amount of money is based on the two and a half times. And so when you get approval, you're getting approval for that amount of money and somehow you're going to turn in your proof of how you spent that amount of money in order to get it forgiven. So that amount of money and that amount of time, I think are this initial phase of it. If the program gets extended or whatever, I think we'll get different guidance on that. But for right now, I think it is that set amount of money that's your two and a half times amount in that set date, you know, date range for that money. I think you can go backwards with it too, though, Mm -hmm. a little bit uh, and and forward, but it is in that date range. Eight weeks, okay. Yeah.
0: And a follow up question to that from our audience. Um, Should operators be trying to pay employees if they can, in the hopes that PPP funding will come through.
9: Well, uh, you know we we just made a decision with one of our uh, one, one of our operator clients to do um, what's it called a cash advance loan, uh, which is not run through payroll. So it's just as a company we're giving them money, and if they get money from you know one of these programs through a check that shows up directly to them the expectation is that they would pay back that money. But I mean, we can't stomach not, you know, helping our people. So as employers, you can give people loans at any time. Uh, It doesn't have, it doesn't have to go through your (laughs) payroll system, but there are, I think we ended up giving three or four cash advance loans in Mm -hmm. anticipation of people getting paid back and then, you know, paying back that loan. Of course, it doesn't work out that way. We can still just give them the loan, but trying to run it separately from payroll is what that client has been trying to do.
2: Thanks so much, Micah. And Sarah, you wanna take us into segment segment three?
0: Yep, Um, so we're gonna transition into our third and final topic for this conversation, marketing and communications. And while we do that, I'm going to try and share the poll results. So for those of you who are planning to reopen this summer, uh, 12% said May, 34% said June, 26% said July, 2% August, and 32% said we don't know yet. Um, So it's not an easy time to message, especially considering the uncertainty of the upcoming summer season, uh, and that poll is pretty indicative of that. Um, several industry organizations have published models that indicate tourism and attractions are headed for a pretty long road to recovery. And in some models, visitation doesn't return to 2019 levels until 2022. While there are others that predict that we could return closer to normal sooner with an increased focus on the local community. Um, So we're gonna start with Stephanie Seville, uh, who is with Strategic Adventures. Um, Stephanie, considering these models, what kind of messaging do you think operators should be focusing on now in order to hasten the road to recovery? And how should they transition their messaging in the post-COVID area, since that is coming eventually,
8: we hope. Yeah, Yeah, let's talk about the now, because that's, I think, a little bit easier for us to wrap our head around. And it's kind of a unique time to be communicating, because On the one hand, everybody's home and looking at their emails about 150 times a day, give or take. Um, But on the other hand, we're getting a bunch of emails from everybody else we've ever given our email address to who's also wanting to communicate about COVID and how they're handling it right now. So I think the trick is to uh, be maybe a little bit more judicious than we want to be and focus a little, not focus at all on selling or marketing or what we can be providing them, but on how can we communicate, if we're gonna communicate at all, how can we communicate some kind of good news that's out there? People wanna see stuff like the John Krasinski Hamilton video on their computer right now. They don't wanna know, no offense, but they don't wanna know how we're cleaning our harnesses. They'll wanna know that eventually, when we get back to Paul's laughing in the background. Um, They'll wanna know that eventually, But that's not where we should be right now. So a couple of examples that we've seen that have worked really well. One was something I just saw today. It was from the ski industry. But um, Taos Ski Resort found themselves, when they closed down, they had an excess of food that was going to expire. They didn't have any customers to eat it anymore, but they had to do something with it. So what they did was they... um, and they decided to donate to a bunch of food banks. They wrote a blog post about that. It has nothing to do with skiing, has nothing to do with operations right now, but it was hey, like, here's a way that we're helping out the local community. Very, very cool. Adds brightens everybody's day a little bit. And they had that specifically in a blog post. You can go, you can find that if you're interested, but it doesn't necessarily barrage your inbox. Um, Anakista did a close down, but they had somebody dress up in a, a Yeti costume the other day and just kind of ran around park in a Yeti costume, which I'm not saying we all go out and buy a Yeti costume or don't go out at all right now, but don't necessarily need to do that. But if you have something like that, that you can do something that's going to put a smile on people's face, something that's going to brighten their day, that's awesome. Um, I like Nick's example of offering refunds or offering to prolong, uh, to give some kind of credit and to allow people to reschedule. I think that works really well if you have a relationship with your customers already if you're an established park that's got a local community you've been around for a while awesome people are going to really buy into that they're going to want to help support the business if too many of us are doing that with people that we don't necessarily have a relationship with already if you book this thing you've never talked to these people before may or may not yield the same results because the other thing that's happening is that people have all this time in their hands they're getting all these emails a lot of people are unsubscribing right now so If you're sending that email out, just ask yourself, is this something that's going to brighten somebody's day right now? Is this something that they're going to want to hear? Or is this something that I'm sending because I feel like I need to be reaching out to my customers right now? We always say to put yourself in your customer's shoe, but I think now more than ever, if we can communicate that some kind of positive messaging, if anything at all, that's going to be what gets us the furthest. Uh, And if you do have a COVID, this is kind of an aside. We see this a lot in the travel industry. If you have a COVID-19 page on your website, Try to put it somewhere that it's easy to find. Um, some sites have it, like boom, right at the top of the page, really easy to find. There's some travel companies that have had to Google like thrifty Rental Car COVID-19 because they can't find their policy anywhere. So try and make that as visible as you can.
0: Great, thanks, Stephanie. Um, to follow up, we've uh, you mentioned the ski industry as a, an example, and we've been you know, since we serve that industry as well. We've been talking a lot on that side. And they have been focused, or uh, saying that one of the ways forward is to focus on kind of the local community, not only in supporting them mm-hmm. right now, but as uh, as travel, you know, only slowly comes back, the local community may be the kind of bread and butter um,
8: once this comes together. Do you have any insight into that? I mean, I, I think we all wish we had more insight than uh, than we do right now, but. Uh, I think that it really depends on the type of business that you are. If you've traditionally been serving the local community, you're going to be a little bit more naturally positioned for success anyway. Uh, I wouldn't think so much about what you're gonna what you're gonna say right now. Start to get some of it, maybe start to think, consider it. But there's so much chance for it to change still. Uh, You can start to look at offering ways to support the local community or offerings, you know, discounted rates for people who live locally who haven't come in before because once this is over, people are going to want to get out of the house and do stuff. Again, they're probably not quite there right now, but even as we see cases start to drop, people will probably start to shift that mentality a little bit. What can I go and do locally? If you do any kind of discounted campaign where you're going to start to bring people in more on a local level, if you offer coupons or discounts or anything like that, just make sure that you know what your, um, your, your operations costs are right now, how much does it cost to put one customer through your park or through your tour, and make sure that whatever discount that you offer isn't less than that amount of money because that's not gonna help you either in the long run. Uh, we've seen that happen before, people have had trouble, so keep that in mind, and it may be a good opportunity to start to, once this subsides, to reach out to the local community more if it's not something that you've done already. Great. Thanks, Stephanie. Um, so we're going to switch over to uh, Lee Kerfoot.
0: Uh, Lee owns and operates Kerfoot Canopy Tour and Brainerd Zipline Tour in Minnesota. Uh, Lee, how have you pivoted your messaging in light of the current crisis? And I know you typically have a, a big spring sale at this time of year for Earth Day. Are you still running that? And if so, how are you messaging it?
10: Hi, yeah, thanks. Uh, we are still running it. and We t- tend to run it from the 1st of April through Earth Day. and We're not really promoting it much. More of our messaging is about, you know, outdoor recreation is part of a healthy lifestyle. Uh, We're here for you when we open up. And everything we're trying to convey is about the reader or a guest, the guest, and and them, not so much about us. And, you know, we saw one other business write an email saying, well, here's $19 off, help help us. that didn't resonate with us. And, um, you know, so we found our verbiage the way we we, a voice that worked for us was to really try to think of the guests, think of writing it for them, what's relevant for them, not so much about us and, and, and what was us. So, and then it's like, I'm here for you. And I, I loved earlier where people were talking about, whether it was the the Yeti or something, you know, provide some positivity. Um, and uh, I think that's great. That's, that's really thinking of the the reader. And, you know, just, we're gonna try to weave that into everything. And we're looking at our abandoned cart emails and saying, how do we need to modify those to be, you know, a voice and a tone that's relevant to right now versus the standard language that we wrote two years ago. That, that just may not, that may be tone deaf right now. So really trying to think about that and saying, how can we be there for the, the reader or for the recipient of it?
2: Thanks, Lee. Um, we have a couple of questions from the audience. Um, I did want to bring up, we, we um, Ryan from Photoflow sent us a really great example from a scuba operator. Ryan, can you just give a, a quick brief thing on, on what they did with some of the content that they had in-house?
11: Sure. Yeah. Thanks for for inviting me to this conversation, and uh, credit to all of you with the work that you're doing and the message that you're sharing with everyone. It's awesome. Um, what we're actually doing with all of our clients right now is is um, remarketing to past customers with their own memories. I don't think there's any more positive message or anything that's more meaningful to people than than their own positive memory from the past. So so what we're doing is and what we're encouraging not just photo clients to do, but anybody to do is repurpose your photos that you have of customers and send that out in a campaign, just reminding people of, of their special moment and their special time from the past. And I think that encouraged that positive communication. Like you talked about, like Stephanie talked about um, where we're not including like a call to action necessarily to, to buy an activity, but just to share, just to continue to share, um, share their photos, share their memories and share that experience with others. And you know, I think it's my position. I, I believe that when we come out of this, you know, any marketing that comes directly from the brand is going to be met with skepticism that we haven't seen before. You know, I think it's going to be very challenging to separate yourself and have a positive message. So, so I think it's really important to get your customers to actively promote your business for you. And um, the data shows that there's no better way to, to do that than just to simply remind them of, of their own memory and a good time from the past.
2: Yeah, happier times. Thanks, yeah. thanks, Ryan. No problem. Um, Sarah, what are the, the questions you saw?
0: Um, So I'm going to throw this to Sean from ACCT. Um, Has ACCT been in touch with the CDC regarding any recommendations? I know we've had a couple of questions from a variety of different operators uh, listening in today who are concerned about close contact on landing platforms or during gear up um, for both guides and guests. So have, have you guys been in touch with the CDC for any potential guidelines or recommendations?
1: Uh, I have not personally. Uh, I think it's a great idea. I think that's one thing we could certainly do. I'm sure some of our members may have, so I'd love to hear from, you know, maybe some of the audience. But yeah, I think obviously what we post on our resource page, it's information coming from CDC and other sources, but everybody has that. But um, looking at specifically information for The industry um, is what I'm sensing would be really helpful, not only cleaning, sanitizing, but other recommendations that we can take for the unique needs of our industry, the Challenge Course Aerial Adventure Park industry. Great.
0: Thanks, Sean. Um, Paul, um, we have a couple of folks who are listening in (laughs) who are... Just starting to launch their businesses either they opened earlier this year and then quickly had to shut down um, or they are planning to open this summer. Uh, do you have any recommendations for those folks who haven't haven't quite really uh, gotten their business up and running yet
7: <laughs> yeah and we have a client as well that opened in February and then had to shut down in March uh, by state mandate and you know four year process to get open and the best thing you can do at that point is if you have like an SBA loan is to request a, defer, a deferment of your payments. Uh, we've had people that have been able to get several months uh payment deferred for that. um as far as starting and opening yet this year man i'd say if you can't if you're in a seasonal area and you can't open by 4th of July you may be better off next season. um just the cost outlay, you, you're probably not gonna end up in the, in the black um, if you open up much later than that. That can be a real hard struggle to, to get that kind of profitability going. Um, right now as well, if you're still trying to get funding to open the business, you're gonna be low man on the totem pole for priority. There's so many other people that are gonna be in line and the government mandate to get these other loan packages out. Uh, it's hard enough in our industry to get financing anyway. You know they don't really get what we do but now with this um the risk factor for our industry perception wise is going to be a lot higher than um than what it actually is and um probably better off waiting to open until 2021 at yeah. that
2: point and we heard from bank of america our guy saying that um, they're only focusing on this uh the ppp and the eidl they're not they're suspending all lines of credit and other types of loans. So, yeah,
7: I know uh, the Cabbage Program, which a lot of people use for short-term financing. Uh, they've suspended all lines of credit. They're not taking any new loan applications. Um, yeah, yeah, you're pretty much at a standstill with them as well. Yep.
2: Yep. Well, um, we are coming up to the end of the hour, and um, I'm going to um, say, you know, thank you all for for listening. We um, we're going to close out. And um, Paul Towner, whom we work with um, for for both our magazines, is a um, he works on creating effective teams and leadership, co- um, coaching. And he's sort of drilled down on this idea, you know, that um, we have a changed workforce. They've been through their own emotional trauma, which needs to be factored in when you bring your teams back. They're changed. Your customers changed your leadership through this um, has to adjust, you know, you're going to be tested in this time of crisis as a leader. And so, um, Paul, will you, um, help us kind of center us with, with the end of this call of where, where we need to be and how we, how we be effective during this time.
12: Sure. Yeah. Thank, thanks a lot, Olivia. There's, um, certainly more than a few seconds worth of uh, advice and, and, uh, uh Discussion we can have about that topic too, but the one thing I will leave you with is just one one uh, uh, quick gift for you uh, personally. Like you've been burning the candle at both ends, trying to figure out how to keep your businesses going and your employees informed and uh, taken care of, and you know that that's going to be appreciated uh, uh, later, probably. Uh, but right now you're just trying to get through each day and, and really work hard on, on a lot of on a lot of fronts. And there's the, the one thing I think to keep in mind is that we're kind of in the front end of a marathon. And it's very easy for for everybody to kind of go 110 percent every single day on this and end up. Um, just collapsing from exhaustion midway through, like met- metaphorically. So I would say, whatever you can do to take care of yourself, to leave a little bit of fuel in the tank at the end of each day, uh, so that you can be there for, for your employees and for your organizations and for each other down the road, uh, as this gets more challenging and more challenging, please do so. So even, even for 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 this call, like after this call, take one minute. Uh, after you hang up and just don't do anything, <laughs> give one minute of space to yourself, um, and I think that'll that'll help. But um, you you know it's really important to to make sure you're there uh, because you've you've got a huge responsibility, and and uh, you're of no use to anyone if if you can't uh, perform at a high level every day.
0: Thanks, Paul.
2: So thank you all to you for being here to listen, and we never been here so you know we didn't exactly solve any of our problems but just the the act of gathering the challenges together is kind of nice so i'm just staying plugged in and connected is great
0: thank you for taking the time to listen to our special adventure park insider huddle we will continue weekly huddles for both adventure park insider and sam magazine we will do them for as long as they make sense Each call is open to the industry, so if you'd like to participate in either huddle or if you have a question or topic you think we should cover, email huddle at adventureparkinsider.com or huddle at saminfo.com. In the meantime, check out our coronavirus impact pages on both the SAM and API websites. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. The PodSAM advisor is Alex Kaufman, the Wintry Mix podcast guy. I am Sarah Bordeev and thank you for listening to PodSAM.